The oldest and strongest emotion of mankind is fear. And the oldest and strongest kind of fear is fear of the unknown. And if Howard Phillips Lovecraft were alive today, I'm sure he'd agree that of all the unknowns to fear, some of the most terrifying would be the decisions that filmmakers have made in adapting his literary classics. Allow the cast of Cthulhu to be your guide to the world of cinematic H.P. Lovecraft adaptations from the superb to the truly cosmically horrific. I'm Jim Rohner. And I'm James McCormick. And this is the first episode of Cast of Cthulhu. Um, if you are listening to this, then I'm assuming you are either friends of, of James and I, <laughs> or you're a big, uh, like us, you're a big H.P. Uh, Lovecraft fan. We started this podcast because uh, uh, we, we wanted to do, you know, James and I have both been in podcasting before. Um, I, do, uh, um, I do movies badly through Battleship Pretension. James does, or has done some other things in the past. Many things, like Criterion Cast, uh, God, uh, Cine Awesome, um, Small Screen Cinema was the last one I was doing with my friend Joe, but Joe Yannick is too busy um, finding cool movies out there, so I don't blame him. That That's a better uh, career move. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so, so I guess it was just one of those things where finally you and I just said, well, I think what it was, I put out a sh- like a shout out to like, hey, I, w- I want to just do a podcast. Yep. Like, I don't know what it is, but let's just do something. Mm-hmm. And then you were, the, I think you were the, not the only person, but you were the one to actually, one, I've worked with before that mm-hmm. we've done stuff. And two, you actually had a good idea. Yeah, well, I, uh, James has been on my podcast before uh, talking about uh, the films of David Cronenberg and most recently the films of Dario Argento. And we're both horror fans, and I know uh, I love doing my podcast, but most of the episodes are, uh, if you have listened to them, are just me on my own. And, mo- and the most fun episodes are always the one where I'm in conversation with someone. And I've I've been a big H.P. Lovecraft fan for years, really, and I kind of had this idea in my head of like, you know, there's a shit ton of adaptations of his stuff out there, um, but most of them really aren't <laughs> good, or most of them are kind of unknown, and I wanted to do something... Uh, that was kind of talking about those reviewing those, and uh, and James was uh, was up for the was up for the idea basically. Well, yeah, like you know, like like you said, like I've been a Lovecraft fan even before I actually knew who Lovecraft was. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like watching the films of like Stuart Gordon at a young age, like Reanimator, From Beyond, and and whatnot, going, and then finding out going, hey, well, okay, wait, they're based on an actual author's books okay let me (laughs) let me find out who this guy is and then um falling in love with just the the dread and like the the cosmic horror but then at the same time the older i've gotten and learned more about lovecraft and learning about the man himself it's like it's almost like that weird separation of the art and the person yeah which i know we'll, we'll probably sprinkle that in every so often but this is really we just want to kind of go for, like you know, the the actual straight up adaptations, and then we'll even you know I know we we've talked about it, but like hell, like Carpenter's films mm-hmm. that are like you know homages, kind of sprinkles it in. Like and I mean, when I was thinking about a, a newer film that to me is a straight up you know Lovecraft riff is like The Void, you know, and stuff like that. Like where you know editing would like. A cosmic horror that you don't know what it is or i mean another thing that we always notice is uh tentacle beasts yeah you know mm-hmm. <laughs> like which is like to me like growing up i remember seeing a lot of tentacle monsters in like anime films and yeah. then not not and not realizing oh they they love lovecraft there too and a lot of stuff a lot of stuff borrows from it. hell like uh 
Mike Mignola's Hellboy. Yeah. A lot of, you know, Lovecraft stuff and and that stuff. So it's just exciting to like, because there's so much, you know, good and bad, like like a lot of bad, but (laughs) a lot of good too, you know. (laughs) <laughs> well, yeah, it is. It is because his his influence is a lot more pervasive than I think people realize. Because I've had conversations with people when I tell them, "Yeah, my favorite author of all time is H.P. Lovecraft," and they're like, "Well, who's that?" I'm like, "Well, you know Cthulhu, right?" It's like, "Oh yeah, like well he he created Cthulhu." And they're like, "Oh okay." I just assumed it was sort of like I've heard some people say like they just thought that was like a creepy pasta that that popped up one day online. You know, I've heard that too. Like, oh, like a guy. And when when did he write this stuff? But when you think about it, you see like Cthulhu like on T-shirts, like like all cutesy, mm-hmm. like the, you know the slippers. Yeah. So it's one of those things where anyone can write about the character, you know, public domain and whatnot. But I almost imagine Lovecraft, if if there is an afterlife, just him just cursing and hating <laughs> and hating it all, like just going. This is the horror I was talking about. <laughs> well, yeah, the commercialism. <laughs> yeah, here's here's a guy who, when he was writing, like a lot of his themes were how unimportant we are and how cosmically insignificant we are, um, and just how that was supposed to inspire horror and dread. And that, and like you, that was what kind of drew me to his work because it's hard. I mean, we're both horror films. It's hard to scare me in terms of like uh, what I'm reading because when you were talking about film, we have certain filmmaking techniques like a jump scare like lighting like camera movements like acting that kind of mm-hmm. uh, evoke something visceral or or scary in you but when you're just kind of reading a page it's kind of on you and you can kind of see what's coming when you turn the page when you look ahead and yet this idea of oh i don't mean anything in this vast meaningless existence is existentially so horrifying to me yeah like the unknown beyond the darkness is almost like that's that's scary to me too. It's like, ooh, do I want to keep walking into that darkness? Because <laughs> yep. I don't know what I'm gonna meet. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Is it gonna be my fate? Is it gonna be something that, I, like you know, the whole thing of Lovecraft is like when someone sees these unknown horrors, they're changed forever. Mm-hmm. And I love that, you know. And like the less, it's it's one of those things where less is more, and that's kind of like, don't get me wrong, like. I like trashy horror films where it's just straight up gore, blah, blah, blah. But the older I've gotten, like, I want to be challenged. I want to see a film that or anything, like even a a book, like a newer book that actually scares me and goes like makes me go, ooh, when I go to sleep, am I going to like dream about this? Mm -hmm. You know, and that's what Lovecraft was for me. Like, like when I finally started reading his stuff, I'm like, oh, okay, now I see why he's so influential. The, the things that strike me are obviously a, a lot of his, uh, if you've read his stuff, a lot of his uh, stuff ends with someone being like, okay, I'm writing this down and now I'm going to go kill myself. Or so, <laughs> or, or like, you know, or someone who's kind of like, yeah, that guy, what he saw, he's irrevocably insane now. Um, yeah. But, uh, but one of the things which was the most terrifying to me was this idea of sort of Pyrrhic victories. I mean, we have like a, a, the Dunwich Horror, which at the end they kind of like destroy whatever creature crossed into their dimension. But it's also even just being exposed to it and recognizing like, yeah, we beat this thing, but like, I mean, there's this whole world out there that just doesn't care and wants to destroy us. And what is this? What is this like little simple victory mean like on a cosmic scale? Like it basically means nothing. And that 
is horrifying for me because especially I think I was born and raised in a Christian atmosphere. I am still a practicing Christian. And so to read something which is basically so antithetical to to the this message of love and grace and like kind of everything having a significance and a meaning, the exact opposite of that is just I don't even want to like consider it. It's so scary. Well, it's funny cuz like I grew up Roman Catholic and I'm a cynical I, I used to I used to think I was atheist, but I'm more agnostic. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like so but I'm open to like everything. Like I like to learn. I like to like, you know, read about all types of religion. So it's almost this, it's it's weird, like we're t- from two different worlds, but it's the same sort of scare. It, like to me, that's scary to everybody. But yeah, but that's what I love. Like like, you know, Lovecraft is just he, he you know, when you know when you talk about authors that were ahead of their time that had this idea and then just ran with it and like, you know, not for a very long time. Like, you know, he wrote and then like, what was it like a span of like 20 years? Yeah. he, he if, Yeah. I think his first published stuff was kind of like in the early 1920s and by, and then right. he died in like the late thirties. Right. So like that's pro- prolific. And, but yet at the time, I don't think, you know, like a lot of those authors, they, they were looked at as like trash, yeah. You know, like like Poe. Mm-hmm. To me, Poe, Poe and Lovecraft are like in a weird way similar in some weird ways. But like so, so I always wonder if like I don't know. Like I have to like study more about the man. Like was he a fan of other authors, Lovecraft, or allow me to uh, to edify you, James? Um, yes, yeah, please. Uh, <laughs> uh, um, Lovecraft was actually a big Edgar Allan Poe fan. It makes sense to me, yeah, because I grew up knowing Poe and like, I remember Poe I was obsessed with, Mm -hmm. like I was obsessed with Poe and his adaptations that that could be another podcast too. But, but yeah, so like that makes sense to me. Like, cause Poe kind of dabbled in like the dread, but in a weird way, he he was a little like maybe slightly more hopeful than Lovecraft. Well, yeah, I I think, (laughs) I I think Poe's uh, hopelessness was sort of on a, a personal, more intimate level. I mean, um, right. Yeah. In, uh, uh, Lygia and the Raven and, and these kind of stories that kind of hint at more like a personal loss, like a love loss, basically. And uh, Lovecraft kind of um, has that stuff, but also what is, what does that sort of stuff mean? Or how is that extrapolated onto a, a larger level of basically? Um, well, I, I think that's, that's what it, as we've already kind of talked about, what makes that more terrifying is like, Hey, you're, your your losses, your your relationships, your petty little things, like on the grand scheme of things, it means nothing because there are these entities out there that are basically huge and uncaring and will destroy you uh, if you happen to wake them up. Yeah, and then, and that's the thing; they're not evil. Yeah, like you know, people always oh, they're no, it's just that's their you know their being. That's just what they are. They just will destroy. Yeah, yeah that's what they are. You know, mm-hmm. and I, I think that's actually scarier as opposed to like. Oh, it's an evil like demon that's come mm-hmm. to like you know wants your torment. A lot of times, and and even some Lovecraft adaptations kind of have that mistake of showing it more as like a an evil, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's something we'll be talking about. What you know, when we watch a lot of these films, like, oh, did you really get what Lovecraft was going for there? Like, I mean, I understand. Sadly. It's almost like I jokingly say it's almost like in in like a a wrestling term like you know people talk about faces and heels you you know this it's hard to find like that just that gray area for some reason mm-hmm. like people understand more oh 
he's the good guy and that's the bad guy. Okay, now I get it. But like in Lovecraft, it's like they're not always good people, but also that they're just being, you know, destroyed from within by something that's not really going after them. It's because really the person went after that that secret or you know that 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 doorway they shouldn't have opened and people told them don't open that doorway well i'm gonna open it anyway right i don't I, you know i don't give it a crap but then what happens they get what they deserve but it's it's not like um it's not like an evil like looking for them so that's kind of like a lot of times when i go mm, yeah that, that you kind of lost and, and hell like i love reanimator but you know we'll talk about that when we more about it but that's if you're going by adaptation, it's not really a good adaptation of his story. But mm-hmm. it's I understand it makes it a better film as a separate like you know with little hints of it, but it's like nothing really except for the name of the character. Right, and I think for me, I mean, listen, we we live in a, a fucking horrible, shitty time right now. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of evil stuff which is going on, but there's also a lot of hope that can be derived from like yes, but look at these good people and what they are doing to kind of counteract it and. But the thing is, good versus evil is like a, a thing that we are used to, but what we are not used to or how we don't know kind of how to deal with on an evolutionary level or an emotional level is like, how do you deal with apathy or how do you deal with the uncaring or how do you deal with basically just a force? I mean, if you think about it, it's it's sort of like Lovecraft kind of intended his elder things, you know, Cthulhu and, and Dagon and these kind of things to basically when it comes to morals to be amoral to just kind of be forces like how do you fight an earthquake you right you can't it, it just is and it will be and that's horrifying and it's funny because um well not funny but there was a a, cor- a guy that lovecraft used to correspond with named august derleth who started writing some cthulhu mythos stuff after lovecraft died and actually did kind of assign elemental like allegiances to his creatures and like and goodness mm. and evil and and people didn't respond to it very well because like well you you're adding on things that didn't exist already, and you're kind of taking the fun out of it. Like I don't want to. I don't want to think that Cthulhu is fighting against other gods because of some personal vendetta. Like that's just that's not scary to me. No, because then you're giving it like him or it a reason for what he's doing, mm-hmm. and that doesn't work. No, no. But and uh, so like uh, as we said, like this podcast is intended to. Um, we won't get as nitty gritty into into the the mythos stuff when we're talking about the films, but it is intended to review adaptations of his stuff. And we're going to be kind of coming at that from really two angles: like, is it a good film? And as James said, like, is it a good adaptation? Because those can be two different things. And um, you know, we'll talk about the direct adaptations. You know, we'll do Reanimator, we'll do Dagon, we'll do From Beyond and Cthulhu and that kind of stuff. But also like the spiritual influences, like. The thing, or in the mouth of madness, or uh, I, I, I was, I threw it on the other day to kind of waste some time. But Event Horizon could be kind of lumped in there with those ones as well. Yeah, uh, and I have a, not not to ruin it, but I have a soft spot for Event Horizon. So I, most people do, and um, I don't, and uh, and <laughs> and that kind of gets into too also like who we are and and why we're tagging this. I mean, like I said, we're both horror films, but if you know anything about James and I, and I'm going to assume you don't. So let us inform you. Um, we kind of, let's say, value different things in the horror genre. I mean, I'm, I'll admit, I'm kind of snooty. I'm kind of a horror snob. Uh, and, and I think it's because I kind of like to approach my horror genre from, I guess, what some people would say is sort of a clinical, more intellectual 
level. I mean, if if you've got a movie, a horror movie, which is blatant social commentary, I will be fully on board with you. I mean, <laughs> you're, you're Get Out, uh, you're Us, oh, yeah. you're Ramo- uh, Romero um, of the Dead films. Like, I'm fully on board with that. And I'm not opposed to the gore and the viscera, but just because a film has gore and viscera doesn't immediately add value to me. I mean, I, I'll give you a, an example, James. Yeah. Um, last uh, Christmas, my brother got me um, one of those, uh, like, horror boxes where it's just kind of like a box of a bunch of different paraphernalia and stuff like you know there was there was pins there was like a mouse pad there was a you can you can get them for different like genres and themes and there's like a moral a marvel box that and you'll get them on a monthly basis um he got me a horror one which was really cool it had like a a mouse pad in there it had um a bunch of cool little things a, a shot glass um, all that are horror related. And there was also a copy of Fangoria magazine in it. Ah, uh, Fangoria. And uh. I tried reading it and I couldn't get through it. It's just the, the, the stuff that they focus on and, and kind of this delighting in the sort of, um, subversiveness and this almost kind of like the, the fuck you attitude of horror. It's, it's not really for me to be honest with you. Yeah. I mean, like I understand that. Like, and I, I, I grew up as a, a Fangoria reader and I, it's one of those things I like the behind the scenes stuff with that magazine. And like, mm. since it's come back, I kind of like, I, I kind of like it more. It's more, I don't know. They, to me, it's actually become a better magazine okay. since it's come back with like the new, like the quarterly version of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that might be why now it's a little more curated, mm-hmm. you know, and like they do like, you know, they had an issue Jordan Peele helped with an issue. Okay. So, so like, you know, they're trying like it differently, but I, I I understand like if you're just going in like, I I was the type of kid that when I would go to the video store, I would look at all the VHS boxes of horror, you know <laughs> even even if it was stuff I couldn't rent, mm-hmm. you know it's like my my parents would be like you can't rent that, but I could look at it mm-hmm. and I could imagine what what could that be and then I also grew up with, you know in new york city you know channel 11 wpix (laughs) you know and i'd watch those horror films that were cut to shit Mm -hmm. but i think it's because of the stuff that was cut out made it more interesting to me and so a lot of times a lot of films i would see years later and i'll be like okay wow they cut a lot out like i i don't remember any of this like like oh right the gore and the sex was cut out Mm -hmm. all all the quote-unquote fun stuff but i'm the type that when a film comes along like a Get Out, I'm I, I I go oh, thank you like at least, but the problem is like horror is so like uh, looked down upon by a lot of people that people will come out of the woodwork and say well that's not a horror film it's a thriller, that's not a <laughs> luckily Jordan Peele's not like that he's like no it's horror mm-hmm. but like a lot of filmmakers will be like like when It Follows came out which I wasn't the biggest fan of yep like but but a lot of people were loved it and I. Yeah, see, but but when Mitchell was talking about the film, he was like almost shying away from the idea of horror. Yeah, but I'm like, it's a horror film. It's okay. You could embrace that. Doesn't mean you have to stick with horror. Mm-hmm. But but like I never get. But like you know, you know some you know one of my favorite directors is George Romero, mm-hmm. and like the 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 Dead films like because I'm a cynical bastard. Um, Day of the Dead's my favorite. Oh of, yeah, of the dead films. You I, know what I mean. Like, I, I like, might be on board with you on that one. I'll be honest with you. And that and that's the thing. Like I love like the idea that the remnants of like humanity are just fighting with each other. Yeah. The zombies aren't the enemies, mm-hmm. and that's kind of what I love about 
Romero's zombie films. Like, don't get me wrong. I like a fun zombie film where, you know, like a return of the living dead, which is fun, mm-hmm. but I like the, you know, cynical nature of a Romero who would always like point out something from society mm-hmm. in his films. And I prefer that kind of horror, but at the same time, I'm also the type that I can just not. I and I hate the idea of shutting off your brain. That's bullshit. Like, like I, I have comfort movies. It's more like, mm-hmm. oh, I like this film because of like this or like you know the soundtrack like gets gets me going. Like, you know, I have a soft spot for all the Friday the Friday the Thirteenth films except for Jason Takes Manhattan, which I hate that. Stuff. It's garbage. Yeah, it's garbage. I don't. I, I mean. People are going to probably hate on that. I'm sorry. As a kid, I was so excited. Like, oh, he's going to come to, like, my city. And he's there for fucking five minutes. <laughs> that was the biggest bait and switch of all time. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like, you know, growing up in the slasher boom, mm. you know, for every, you know, Friday the 13th or Halloween, you had, like, a lot of, like, run-of-the-mill, like, just let's just try to get that money. And I understand that, too. And I have a, you know, I love, like, My Bloody Valentine. I think that's, like, a better one. Like, or something like uh, Slaughter High was, like, one I, I, I enjoyed a lot. Mm. You know, it's not a it's not a good film, but, you know, and or hell, like, recently, certain films that have come back, like, because of, like, companies like Arrow or Vinegar Syndrome, like, mm-hmm. one, one that I just love because it's just such a bizarre film is, like, Blood Rage. Mm-hmm. That's a bizarre film, but and that's kind of what I like. I like the films that try something, and even if they fail, I'm glad they tried it. Yeah, you know what I mean. I'm glad they just went for it. So my horror is like, you know, the joke was on Criterion Cast. I was like, oh, James likes the classy stuff, but he likes the trash, <laughs> and I do because I find I find the, uh, I guess I could find a silver lining in a lot of trashy films. Mm-hmm. But if it's to me, the worst thing about a film. It's if it bores me. Okay. You know what I mean? So, And there's a lot of horror that bores me. Like, where I'm like, oh, God, this sucks. Yep. Like, I'm just like, but but I'll watch, I'll always finish a film. I'm a weirdo. Like, no matter what, even if I hate something, I have to finish it because I just want to see, like, oh, is it boring for, like, an hour and a half? Or, like, is it boring up until, like, the last ten minutes? And I go, oh, there's a little bit there. But the rest of it, like, and I'll joke with people. Oh, you could watch. You, you could sneak into the, like the last ten minutes of a film, and they're yeah. like, "Real? Like, why would I want to do that?" I'm like, "Well, <laughs> you'll see some weird shit, but whatever." <laughs> and and maybe that's and maybe that's like that kind of gets at the heart of it for me because I, I I won't say that I grew up with horror, but I I certainly didn't come late to it. I mean, but my horror exposure when I was a kid was stuff like. Are you afraid of the dark, or uh, you know the, the the Twilight Zone marathons on like New Year's Eve, and 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 oh. so I didn't yeah. actually. This is gonna be shocking to maybe you and to everyone. I didn't see any installment f- from either the Friday the Thirteenth or Nightmare on Elm Street series until I was, I'd say, in my twenties. I I did not grow up with them like that. That was not a thing that I that was like I was exposed to. So and and you know that kind of stuff. You know, eventually kind of fit into a formula of like, listen. Let's set up these teenagers and let's just knock them the fuck down. Um, was not a thing that I was kind of exposed to. So, like, I, I was I was familiar with what it was to be scared and interested in where that came from. But then kind of going to, to film school and reading stuff like, you know, Noel Carroll's, like, The Philosophy of Horror or, or David Scull's, like, uh, The Monster Show and just being and being really engaged in, like, an intellectual level. And I think I, I kind of carried 
um, that with me. And so then, um, you know, the last time James was on my podcast was to talk about Dare Argento and specifically Argento's uh, Giallo films, some of his Giallo films. I only co- yeah. could cover three. And uh, I, I remember kind of like sending a message like, dude, I'm not into any of these. And he's just like, <laughs> yeah, I get it. <laughs> yeah. and, and that's the thing. Like, I don't I don't like think like differently about someone if they don't like it. If they don't like it, it's like, oh, OK, well, it works for me, but it doesn't work for you. Like, I think what was it? Um Phenomena yep. was one, mm-hmm. which is that's a batshit insane film. Like with bugs, like girl, you know Jennifer Connelly talks to bugs. Whatever <laughs> is, is that the one where the the monkey saves the yep. day at the end? Yeah, yep. <laughs> yeah. Like, does it make sense? No. And 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 sometimes that's kind of what I love about a good um, like Jalo film is like it's that they they're based on trashy like paperbacks. So mm-hmm. it's like make it a film version. It's like. The trashier, the better. Mm-hmm. But I can understand. I think that was like opera with uh, the heavy metal soundtrack. Yep, that was one. <laughs> and I don't know. And but then again, like when, when, when someone goes, nah, I didn't really like that. It's like, yeah, it makes sense. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I can I, and I can even appreciate how the, 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 the mass media of the genre, at least like stuff like Dracula and Frankenstein, which even before they were movies, like started out as as books and they became plays, and then that's like I even understand how that started as sort of like a an like you know an artistic form of sort of rebellion and pushing back at like you know popular culture and that sort of thing, and and then sure you had like especially in the eighties there was like kind of you know this handful of filmmakers that were kind of like hey fuck you like Reagan and popular culture and that sort of thing and kind of embracing this idea of being the punk and being the outcast and like and and the minority i mean you see that in um uh what is that clive barker movie nightbreed um nightbreed, yeah. yeah how you kind of see it in that but it's also like and, and granted to a certain extent horror is still not critically like entirely c- critically embraced but it's almost kind of to me a little bit arrogant to kind of be like hey we still got to be the fuck you thing even though like horror movies they make a lot of money get out you know yeah. won an academy award like we, we don't we're it's 2019 we don't have to be living in the dark anymore like we don't have to just kind of be like hey here's a five minute sequence of this guy's eye getting pulled out just because we can no and i agree with that it's like to me that's that to me that's lazy like that to me there has to be a reason for the eye being pulled out you Mm -hmm. know what i mean like 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 lucio fulci you know all his films had eye trauma (laughs) I don't like like and I don't know maybe he there was something about eye trauma for him <laughs> I don't know because he wore thick glasses mm. so maybe that's maybe something there so who knows some filmmakers have like a you know a, a little signature to their films like but like going to the filmmakers like Wes Craven like kind of like what I love about Wes Craven was he didn't see a film until he was in like college yeah <laughs> yeah he, he grew up like really really like hardcore christian i forgot what like what like what he was you know what i mean like but his family was very you can't watch movies <laughs> yeah I so, you know so imagine that like a guy that like ended up making some of the most influential like horror films of all time didn't get to see like any film until <laughs> he was in college mm-hmm. and that's crazy to me like wow so it's it doesn't matter like it, you could be Watching the film since you were in the womb or, you know, like, because joke my mom always tells me is she knew I was going to be a horror fan because when they rented the Texas Chainsaw Massacre on VHS and I was in my mom, um, I was kicking like crazy when the chainsaw scenes were going on. 
I'm like, I, and I think I'm like, you're you're full of shit. And my mom's like, no, it was freaking me out because while watching a movie and being scared, then I feel you pushing and going crazy in there. I'm like, well, it makes sense then. I guess I had a affinity for it <laughs> from the get go, you know. <laughs> and and I think it's important to establish these different approaches and these differences because when it comes to Lovecraft and his work and his adaptations, he contained kind of both of that, like both sides of the stuff. Like his, you know, he was, his language, he was a, he was an Anglophile and his philosophy was very high minded. And he was a guy that was kind of, a uh, kind of, he was a classist certainly. So there, there yes. was, there was a, 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 an intellectual level that um, at least when he was alive, he, he felt it was uh, superior, but there's also viscera in his stuff too. I mean, the, 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 he doesn't go too into detail in his descriptions of his creatures because basically he wants your imagination to fill it in to just think of the most horrible, vile things that just would drive a person insane. So I, I mean, he's he, he is not a you know he's not above this stuff either, and and I think you know that's that's why it's important that we can we can get both of these things out of a Lovecraft adaptation. I think. Well, yeah, and like and like I know you and I talked about it how if it wasn't for like certain authors like. If it wasn't for Poe, would Lovecraft come about? If it wasn't for Lovecraft, you even point out like Stephen King yeah. alone. Mm -hmm. That's him alone. It's like, would there be a Stephen King? No, there mm -hmm. wouldn't be. Like, like he fell in love with his writing. So, and he has elements of that. You know, he's a different writer from Lovecraft, but that's kind of what makes me like love King. And then all these other writers that have come about and just have like that element of dread, even if they're not intentionally doing it, like, like an author I really like is Bentley Little. Okay. And his stories always have this horrific, just like the way he, like he's like, like, you know, Bentley Little like really describes the, the weirdness and like just the awful, like, you know, like I'm surprised I don't see more of like stuff based on his books, but at the same time, some of the imagery is just. Oh, like, <laughs> like you want to take a shower because it's like so gross. And like, I mean, I just love it though because I, you know, a, if a book can make me feel like dread or like just gross or like, oh my god, like, you know, you if you could picture it in your head and like see it in front of you, that works for me. You know, mm -hmm. like you know, like that's some some of best the best Stephen King stuff does that. You know, oh, you yeah. haven't. I mean, I'll be honest, I haven't read a. A Stephen King book, probably like a new one yeah. in probably fifteen years, <laughs> but he writes so much. Mm -hmm. He's so prolific. What is it, three or four a year? He still does. It's 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 something like that. It's I don't even like as someone who has still not written his first screenplay at the age of thirty five, and it's like I don't understand how this guy writes multiple books a year. Hey, I know it's like wow. Then you have his son Joe Hill, yeah, who's also doing stuff, and like you can see the elements of like. Lovecraft and his stuff too. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I mean, I'm yeah. speaking of comic books, Alan Moore was a big H.P. Lovecraft fan as well. I mean, he he had a comic book series, Neonomicon, that you can buy uh, collected editions of. Mm -hmm. um, yep. As as James said, Stephen King, I, I mean, was a huge uh, was hugely influenced by him. Here's two quotes I want to read for you. Number one, these are both from him, by the way. These are not from me. <laughs> um, I think it is beyond doubt that H.P. Lovecraft has yet to be surpassed as the 20th century's greatest practitioner of the classic horror tale. And he says, Lovecraft opened the way for me, as he had for others before me. It is his shadow, so long and gone, and his eyes so dark and puritanical, which overlie almost all of the important horror fiction that has come since. And so, whether you like King or not, 
you have to understand how pervasive his influence is, one of the major uh, rungs in the ladder for for Stephen King to get to where he is as a cultural force, was H.P. Lovecraft. And as James said, I mean, uh, the Ogru Jihad in, in Hellboy um, uh, was, a, was a clear allusion to, like, the old ones that are basically kind of mentioned in Lovecraft. I mean, Guillermo del Toro also had this uh, this abandoned At the Mountains of Madness adaptation, which I really wanted to see, especially considering he said, because they made Prometheus, I'll never make this movie, and I fucking hated Prometheus. Yeah, and, then, like, it, it, it pisses me off, because, like, a film that del Toro was going to make with the backing of James Cameron. I know. With Tom Cruise. Get made. Yeah, with Tom Cruise, and that couldn't get made. I know. Like, what? <laughs> like, like, it makes no sense. And I've there's a great podcast about movies that were never made. Mm-hmm. And they covered that script. Oh, man. And they were reading parts of it with people that are, like, very into Lovecraft. And it sounded amazing. Like, it pisses me off even. Like, it was after I listened to that episode. I'm like, I, I, I had messaged the one guy, Steven Scarlatta, who, who co-hosted. And I'm like, you know, you like, I was pissed off when it didn't get made. Now I'm even more pissed <laughs> off because it sounded so good. He's like, I know. He's, and he's like a he loves movies that never got made. Mm-hmm. Like you know, he's the guy who helped produce uh, uh, Jodorowsky's Dune. Okay. So it's a but it makes no sense to me. Like, but maybe one day we'll get that ad- adaptation somehow. I mean, I I hope so. And, and basically, I guess like let's just go see every Del Toro movie as as much as we possibly can, so that his movies make money because we know that like he's gotten a bunch of academy awards so like right i i I don't know what else a studio needs other than those two things like hey he's making money and he's and he's winning awards let him make whatever he wants please it doesn't just stop there i mean here's just a few other little tidbits of how widespread this man's influence is um if you are a a literary type i mean if you like robert e howard who is a guy that created conan Mm -hmm. the barbarian Lovecraft influenced his stuff. They were corresponding with each other, and their kind of stuff influenced uh, influenced the writing of each other's stuff. Uh, George R. R. Martin, you like Game of Thrones? I do. Uh, also has a lot of Lovecraft adaptations. I mean, if you if you really dig deep into and and I'm talking about Martin's text here. Let's let's forget about the TV show for a minute. But like Martin's text, uh, the world of ice and fire. If you really dig di- like deep into that stuff, he's got references to the deep ones. Um, the cities of Kadath and Sarnath are all names that appear in Lovecraft stuff that he kind of blatantly admits like yeah i just stole them and i just called them these things because i didn't really know what else to call them basically it it takes a lot to make up fictional names for places um if you're a batman fan um arkham asylum arkham comes from hp lovecraft that was not something the batman creators came up with they pulled that from the fictional city that hp lovecraft created um Video games, Fallout, if you've ever played Fallout 3, uh, there is a Dunwich building in Fallout 3, which is a clear reference to uh, the Dunwich horror. Um, and then, uh, you know, just uh, other stuff. I mean, adaptations of his stuff has appeared in in, uh, in TV shows like The Night Gallery. Jordan Peele's upcoming Lovecraft Country series is based on a book that was being written by them. So it's, it's basically, to, to put a, 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 a kind of a, a number to it, Stephen King is credited with like 304 projects on IMDb as like a writer of some kind. Uh, Lovecraft has about 200, so his stuff is everywhere, but what's worth looking at, what's worth avoiding, what's good, what's bad, what's in between, that's what we're going to be hoping to answer for you, basically. Well, yeah, and like like you said, like 200, you know, adaptations that he's, like, listed as a writer, but that that's not even talking about the hundreds of thousands of things that yeah. have the elements of his 
ideas. So that's kind of what's exciting about this, like where where we can go with this. Like, of course, we'll we'll hit the the heavy hitters, but I think the more exciting stuff is going for the weird, like hell, even some of the probably the really shitty ones, like that one <laughs> that one I sent you the the trailer for it. I like, <laughs> yeah, I don't want to say what it is yet. Yeah, but I'm scared to watch that one. But <laughs> <laughs> and and yeah, and I mean if if this if you know, if you start listening to this podcast and you like it, uh, maybe if it gets more popular, we'll start doing a Patreon to kind of do supplemental stuff. Like I said, Alan Moore's got comics that are based on this. There's TV show episodes that are better based on this stuff. There's uh, the Call of Cthulhu video game. I mean, there's a few actually Call of Cthulhu video games, but there's a, a PS4 one, which is currently sitting in my PlayStation 4. So, you know, maybe we'll branch out and also just do um, adaptations across other uh, media as well. Oh, yeah, even Rick and Morty. <laughs> like had stuff with like you know with Lovecraft stuff, so it's everywhere. Like it's just if you if if someone's a fan of Lovecraft, they go, how can I throw in something like mm-hmm. you know? And that's kind of what I love. It's like oh, I really like this this idea like Arkham. Okay, let me throw it in my world because mm-hmm. yeah. I can. You know what I mean? And and that's just so cool about it. Like yeah, this is gonna be a fun but also very scary trip, I think. (laughs) And it will be, um, it it will be in all, in all uh, uh, being upfront. It's, it's going to be a biweekly thing. Um, As much as I would like to commit to a weekly thing. I, I just, I personally don't have it on, on my plate, even though I know James is itching to, was itching to get back into the, uh, the, the, the podcasting world. Um, But yeah, we'll, we'll be doing it biweekly. And so I think, um, well, before we kind of get into what we'll be starting with, I I guess, uh, we can kind of start wrapping up, and I guess just uh, how how people can kind of get in touch with us. At some point, we're gonna do. A, I'm pretty sure we're gonna do a Twitter and maybe even yeah. an Instagram for the podcast, but uh, we we just we don't have that yet. Yeah, I think like when I, <laughs> hell, who knows? Even before we like post this, maybe by then we'll have actual links. You know? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping at least by the time this goes up, you can go to a Facebook page and be like, oh, here's stuff, but uh. As as um as uh Rooney Mara said, the internet is written in ink. So uh, I, 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 I don't want to promise too much. No, that's true. You don't want to promise too much. And like you said, of course, I'd I'd love to do, you know, a weekly podcast. But there's a lot on your plate, and I, I'm hell. I, I I do overnights at my job. So yeah. considering I'm up at a normal time right now is pretty amazing to me. <laughs> but it's because I had a weekend off for once, so it's like a weird. It's yep. also very weird too, but I think like biweekly, and then if we start a Patreon down the line, you know, like we have a lot of ideas, which I think is actually good for a new podcast, as opposed to yeah. some that just put out a podcast and then maybe ten episodes in they come up with some of the ideas, and yeah. I think that's actually not good. Like it, you know what I mean? Like if if you don't have like a mindset ahead of time. Mm-hmm maybe where where were you going with it in the first place did you just want to put something out just to put it out yeah well and and like we said there's uh over 200 credited <laughs> things that uh that lovecraft is right some of which are you know short films admittedly or, or you know video game stuff which we might not get to but uh there i can assure you we can both assure you after doing some uh google searching amazon searching there are no s- shortage of uh feature films that are either direct adaptations inspired by or Honestly, just look straight up awful. <laughs> yeah, I'm scared, but I'm also like I said, I like to jump into some of this stuff. So I think if there's a reason for it, it's almost like homework. Yeah, you know, I don't mind that. Is like 
when I did Criterion Cast, sometimes some of the best films I saw were the ones that didn't look like something I'd like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know if this is going to be the same thing as that, but... <laughs> Maybe we'll both be won over by uh, the call girl of Cthulhu. Who knows? You know, I, I mean, true. I mean, I've heard... <laughs> I've, I've, no, actually, a friend of mine actually is, like, friends with one of the... I think the screenwriter or the director of that film. So, oh wow! If so, if it is good, mm-hmm. maybe we get an interview. You know, and you know what I mean. And that's kind of exciting too. Like a lot of filmmakers that are doing stuff today, probably get you know, get something out of them too. Like who knows where we can go with this? There's yeah. a lot of ideas we have. There is at least as of the publishing of this podcast, uh, a couple ways to get in touch with us. We do have an email address. So if you want to email us. That's moviesofmadness at gmail.com. Yes, that's a pun. And actually, Peek Behind the <laughs> Curtain was one of the uh, was one of the ideas we were toying with for titling of this podcast, The Movies of Madness. But um, yeah, moviesofmadness at gmail.com. You can reach me uh, on Twitter, currently at Nolan Fixes Teeth. Once again, maybe we'll do a, 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 a podcast Twitter-centric account. And if you want, um, you can also listen to my other podcast, I Do Movies Badly, which uh, you can find at battleshipretention.com or on I do movies badly at uh, wait, hang on. I do movies badly dot podbean dot com. There it was. There you go. And then you can always reach me at Twitter at fistful of media. Um, I try to post there, you know, as much as possible, like questions, like you know, film questions as much as I can. I never talk about politics or anything like that, so <laughs> don't have to worry because <laughs> I don't, I, I don't want to talk about that stuff online at all. Right. Well, I think it's toxic no matter what. It's already toxic to read about it. Why do I want to like? Why do I want to put that in my life? So, mm. yeah. Well, and that oh, that reminds me of one thing we forgot to to mention. Clearly, H.P. Lovecraft, a troublesome history of being a racist and a xenophobe. Yep. Um, yep. We're not ignorant to that. Um, that is stuff that we will address. And and I, you know, if you were wondering or, or kind of worrying about it, uh, listen, James and I are not are not down with that shit. Uh, that's no. you know we. we it is one of those things, like, I, I, I have had it in the past where I tell people, my favorite author of all time is H.P. Lovecraft. And, like, wasn't he a racist? Like, yes, yes, he oh, was. big time. He was a tremendous racist person. Um, but I, I think, but then I think that, in a way, I'm almost, uh, I'm still curious to kind of see adaptations of his stuff because I know, um, I think there's a, a film in 2007 called Cthulhu, which specifically focuses around a homosexual character who is going back home um, to kind mm-hmm. of you know deal with uh, the reckoning of, of, of I believe some personal loss and, and there's something there so it's even interesting to me to kind of see like in this context decades removed from his attitude from when we are moving forward hopefully progressively as a society how can we change this story how, and 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 that's why uh, I'm really excited to read Lovecraft Country and also to see that adaptation as well. Well, yeah, going back to real quick before we sign off, like I don't think Stephen King is a racist. No. I don't think Guillermo del Toro is a racist. No. I don't think Jordan Peele like like it's it's George R. R. Martin. Like like all these authors and writers and filmmakers, they love something about his writing, but I don't think any of them agree what he what he actually believed in. Mm-hmm. Like as a person, like like and you know, so that's kind of like what makes it actually more interesting to separate the man from the writing, and like how you could have such great stories from such a toxic personality well and even that idea too i mean if we're talking if we're getting back to this idea of like here are these larger forces at work that don't care about you how would a an african-american see that applied in their daily life or a mexican-american right. and that thing like there, there's 
there's room to explore that in a way that I'm sure Lovecraft did not intend that I think could be really interesting mm-hmm. for the individual artists interpreting it. Definitely. That's it for this first episode of uh, The Cast and the Cthulhu. The <laughs> I've already screwed up the name of our own podcast. <laughs> the Cast of Cthulhu. Um, so, uh, uh, you know, once again, you can reach us at moviesofmadness at gmail.com. Um, next time, we're, we're going to be diving right into it. Next time, we're going to be talking about um, the 1985 adaptation of Reanimator, directed by uh, Stuart Gordon. Arguably the most famous adaptation of uh, any of his work, I would say. I believe so. I think it's it's so famous that people don't even realize it's based on a Lovecraft story. Like, they, like And that's kind of how I got into it, so we'll talk more about that. We will certainly talk more about that, and perhaps why I think that Stuart Gordon is the undeserving uh, of holding the mantle of sort of uh, <laughs> Lovecraft adapter. But um, um, in the meantime, we'll be waiting and dreaming with Dead Cthulhu at his house in Relia. Really, uh...